Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom. I am Dr. Ann Davis with Bible Interact. Today I would like to pose a very interesting question. Who will be saved? Now, I am going to present to you my work, my findings, my conclusions. You must not jump on what I am going to suggest. I don't want you to jump on what anybody is going to suggest. I want you to listen carefully, listen to not just to my conclusions, but how I have drawn these conclusions, and then you must go to Scripture to see if these things are so. By the way, Bible Interact offers a, a program called First Century Methods of Searching the Scriptures. It's foundational to everything we do because we want you to be able to go into Scripture and uncover its depth of meaning not from a theological perspective, but from what the scripture says, and not from the the modern Greek Western way of interpreting scripture through a field, fields of study called hermeneutics and exegesis, which are both Greek words, by the way. Instead, we have recreated, we have recovered first century methods of searching the scriptures which are very different from what is being taught today. As just one example, um, the, the people in ancient Israel didn't have books. They didn't read. They learned by memorization. They learned by listening. So there are all kinds of nuances in the text. You can hear them. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to have a PhD. The people in ancient Israel didn't have PhDs. You know, they were, they were farmers. They were fishermen. They, they were simple people. But they knew the Hebrew Scriptures by heart. And when someone spoke, either, either, either spoke the scripture, which they would do standing up, or commented on scripture, which they would do sitting down, the, the ear would hear anything unusual. And, um, you know, there's a lot more to it than that. <laughs> but I'll just give you a little a tidbit. You can go to BibleInteract.com and learn more about this program, First Century Methods of Searching the Scriptures. Now, I am addressing the question, who will be saved? I'm going to speak only about Israel, the salvation of Israel, in this session. In later sessions, I'll, I'll, I'll get into other aspects of the question. But for, for right now, I just want to do the salvation of Israel. Now, God says very clearly that he does not show partiality. He treats all people the same. We read this in Deuteronomy, and it is repeated several times in the New Testament. God does not show partiality. So we're going to see that God rescued Israel from death to life at the time of the Passover in Egypt. And, and this is referring to all the children of, of Israel. We're also going to see that both Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, and Paul in the New Testament declare that all Israel will be saved. Now, I'm just giving you a little um, tidbit here to, to, to get you into this whole topic. 
of, of the salvation of Israel. Um, there are a number of different interpretations, either that you have to believe in Jesus to be to be saved, including Israel, or perhaps you had to believe in the coming of the Messiah before he came to be saved. You know, there's one now that, you know, you have to belong to Israel to be saved. I disagree with all these. I think scripture tells us that the children of Israel belong to God. He declares that he is their father and he, and they are his firstborn son. They belong to God. Now, I'm going to start by turning to the narrative. And my assumption is that the narrative is prophetic. I think that's an easy assumption to make because we read in 1 Corinthians, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. So the Passover was pointing forward to the the death uh, and resurrection of Christ. So we can see in the narrative, I mean, we can see that the narrative can be prophetic. Now, I'm going to take that concept of the 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 narrative as prophecy and i'm i'm going to to use that concept to to try to understand what god means that all israel belong to him and that all israel will be saved now one thing you must understand about prophecy is that there can be multiple fulfillment of one prophecy it can happen again for example when the children of Israel left Egypt, God parted the Red Sea. They walked through on dry land. And then when Pharaoh and his army came walking on that dry land, God allowed the water to, to come back and all of Pharaoh's army were, were drowned. That is repeated with the account of crossing the Jordan River before they fought the Battle of Jericho when they came into the Promised Land. Because the Jordan River is going to, the water is going to stop and so that it forms a wall. In Egypt, it, it, there were two walls, one on each side, and Israel went through between the two. In the Jordan River, the water stops and it forms one wall and they walk through. Now another example is God rescued the children of Israel from bondage in Egypt, and then he rescued them again from bondage in Babylon. We get some very interesting things happening with the millennial kingdom, because these prophetic passages have been fulfilled, yes, maybe once, maybe twice, but they are still yet to be fulfilled. For example, we see the, the Passover. We read in Ezekiel about the millennial kingdom. This is the offering that you shall offer. He's talking about an offering in the millennial kingdom. A grain offering, a burnt offering, and a peace offering to make atonement for them. This is the high priest who is Yeshua in the, in the uh, millennial kingdom uh, making atonement for God's people who are in the millennial kingdom. And so that that whole concept that the you know the Passover pointing forward to Christ is still pointing forward to something future. And in the millennial kingdom, it will still point forward to something beyond that, just to get you thinking. All right, let me give you another example. All right, the, let's see. Oh, that, that one was an example of just offerings, that offerings will be offered in the millennial kingdom. This one is specifically of the Passover. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, you shall have the Passover, a feast of seven days, unleavened bread shall be eaten. This is in the same Ezekiel passage. It's referring again to the millennial kingdom. And the other 
of the annual festivals that will be celebrated in the Millennial Kingdom. There's the Passover and there is Sukkot. There's those two that will be celebrated in the Millennial Kingdom that are pointing to something that is still future. The others have apparently been fulfilled because they are not being celebrated in the Millennial Kingdom. Now Ezekiel tells us about um, about Sukkot. He says, in the seventh month on the 15th day of the month. That's Sukkot. At the feast, he, the high priest, which is Yeshua, shall provide like this, seven days for the sin offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the oil. So we have two of the seven annual festivals that will be honored in the millennial kingdom, still pointing to something future. Now, I want to turn now from the prophetic nature of the narrative to the concept, this is a very important concept, there are two aspects of salvation. One is salvation from death to life, which is a promise. We will be with God some day, standing before him in righteousness with no sin, because the consequence of sin is death. Without any sin, we have life. It's a promise of something future. And by the way, it's a promise to both Israel and the church. I'll show you that in a minute. So this is the first aspect of salvation. That's all I'm going to deal with in this session is the first aspect of salvation, the promise of life at some time in the future. Now, Christianity has lumped the two together and and sees salvation as this one thing. Um, the Hebrew Scriptures is very distinct about the second aspect of salvation, and if you see it in the Hebrew Scriptures, you can go to the New Testament and see it in the New Testament because you've got the understanding from the Hebrew Scriptures. But in this set, the rest of this session, I'm just going to exclusively uh, focus on the first aspect of salvation, which the, is the promise from death to life. That promise requires righteousness. It requires the destruction of all sin. It allows us to stand before God in righteousness. All right, let's turn back to the the narrative as prophetic. And I want to talk to you about the nature of Israel's inheritance. Now, the Hebrew Scriptures, and even Paul, refers to inheritance. You know, Christianity talks about being saved. I'm trying to get rid of that concept of being saved to make it much broader and much richer. I prefer to replace being saved with who belongs to God. The children of Israel belong to God. I'm going to show you that in a minute. But there is a distinction in the nature of their inheritance. They all belong to God. They're all going to inherit. But only some of them will inherit a special inheritance called the birthright. They all belong to God. They're all going to inherit. But only a small number will inherit the birthright. Now, let me show this to you. It's in the narrative. We're in Egypt at the time of the, um, the Exodus, the Passover and the Exodus. And we read in Exodus chapter 11, verse 5, All the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. This is the last plague. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne... So Pharaoh's not going to die, but his firstborn son is going to die. Even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. 
So it's going to be the firstborn of Pharaoh, the firstborn son of Pharaoh, the firstborn son of all the nobles, the firstborn son of all the low, lowly people, the servants, the firstborn son of all the animals. They're all going to die. This is the last plague. But then God says to Moses, Moses, you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn, my firstborn son. And he's referring to all the children of Israel. The text makes that clear. All the children of Israel are my firstborn. So I said to you, Pharaoh, this is what Moses is supposed to say to Pharaoh. So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me, but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, Pharaoh your firstborn son. Now, I believe that this passage helps us understand that all the children of Israel belong to God. They are his firstborn son. In Deuteronomy, he declares that he is their father. He is their firstborn son. They are his firstborn son. He is their father. They belong to God. In an earlier teaching, I explained to you that although all the children of Israel belong to God, although they will all inherit, they will all inherit the land and the promised land and inherit by standing before God in righteousness, only a remnant, uh, there will be a remnant out of Israel that will, will have to fulfill a certain role, a role of the remnant, before all the rest of Israel can be saved. Now, who are the remnant? I identify the remnant with the inheritance of the birthright. Who gets the inheritance of the birthright? Every firstborn son is entitled to the birthright simply because he's born first. It's a leadership role. The one who's born first is going to be raised to be the next leader of his clan or tribe. The inheritance of the birthright is a leadership role. Jacob had 12 sons. Reuben was his firstborn. It is clear from the narrative that Reuben was born to the birthright. He was entitled to inherit the birthright. However, God took away the inheritance of the birthright from Reuben and bestowed it on Joseph. In the blessings that Jacob gives his 12 sons, Judah also has attributes of the birthright. So we see that two of Jacob's 12 sons are going to inherit the birthright, Judah and Joseph. The others still inherit. They still belong to God. Look at Reuben. His tribe inherited land in the promised land. All of the sons inherited land in the promised land, but only Joseph and Judah are going to inherit the birthright. So God is selecting a worthy remnant. All right, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to to direct your attention to some confusing passages that have led to this Christian interpretation that you that that if you do not, you know, if you if you haven't believed in Jesus, you're not going to be saved. Um, by the way, the evangelical position has has taken a, a a position. Many many of these churches have taken a position that all the children of Israel will be raised and and will be allowed to see Jesus and to decide whether they're going to submit to him or not. So they kind of 
you know, jump around the bush here uh, by saying, oh, there's sort of, there's going to be a second chance for Israel. But, you know, let's just keep going with scripture here. I'm going to take a, um, a tough passage. It's in Romans, and Paul is talking, and he says, it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they meaning the children of Israel, are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. In other words, if you jump to a conclusion, it sounds like, you know, there's all the children of Israel out there, but only the ones who believe in Yeshua are going to be saved. That's what it sounds like. That's what a common interpretation has has occurred. However, I finally figured it out. <laughs> you know, you have to be immersed in the Hebrew language to really be able to get a lot of these nuances. Because in Hebrew, one word can have two or more meanings. In one passage, I have found, um, actually, I have found five words that mean the same thing. Now, you can get one word that means many things. It can mean two things or three things or four things. It can mean several things. So what we've got here is we've got the word Israel that has two meanings. One word Israel can mean two things. It can mean, number one, Israel, meaning the children of Israel, all the people of Israel, Am Yisrael in Hebrew, the people of Israel. It can mean all of Israel. So when you say Israel, it can mean all the people of Israel. You can also mean Jacob. Jacob whose name was changed to Israel. It can be Jacob. So I suggest that what Paul is saying is that they are not all Jacob who are descended from Israel. Let's see, no, wait a minute, from, the, from Jacob. They are not all, now I'm confused here, they're not all children of Israel who are descended from Jacob. They are not all Jacob who are descended from, from Israel. I think it's they are not all Jacob. They are not all Jacob because... Jacob was the one who inherited the birthright. His older twin brother Esau was born to the birthright, but the birthright was given to Jacob. So they are not all Jacob. They are not all going to inherit the birthright who are from Israel. Descended has been added, who are from Israel, who are descended from Israel. So all the children of Israel are descended from him, but they are not all going to inherit the birthright as Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, uh, uh, will inherit the birthright. All right, so what follows this very confusing passage, which I believe is saying that all you children of Israel, you're not all going to be born to the birth. You're not all going to uh, inherit the birthright. What follows is Paul with Halakhic Midrash, which takes two, uh, two citations that are legally and conceptually similar and draws out a new understanding from Scripture. So he's got these two citations. Through Isaac, your descendants will be named. And at this time, I will come and Sarah will have a son. Well, they're both about Isaac, the child of promise, who's going to inherit the birthright. And then you get two more. The older will serve the younger. Well, that's Esau will serve his younger brother Jacob. That's about the birthright. And on Jacob, I bestowed my love, but Esau, I did not love. That's my translation, and I believe it's, it's, it's a better translation from what you see in, in some of the English translations. On Jacob, I bestowed my love. 
he bestowed, God bestowed his love on Jacob because Jacob was worthy to inherit the birthright. But on Esau, I, I did not bestow my love because Esau was not worthy to inherit the birthright. That's what it means. So the, the narrative is prophetic and it's teaching us about the nature of Israel's inheritance. Paul is going back into the Hebrew scriptures and he's using the Hebrew scriptures to show this conclusion. And what conclusion is he drawing here? He's drawing the conclusion all Israel will be saved. We Romans 11:26. All Israel will be saved. And and I'm going to show you that Isaiah also tells us that all Israel will be saved. We read in Isaiah 41 verses 8 to 9, You, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, I have chosen you and I have not rejected you. So what we're getting here is we're getting a we're getting an understanding that all the children of Israel belong to God as his firstborn son. God is their father. God is not going to reject them. He is going to bring them all to him at some time in the future. This is the first aspect of salvation, from death to life. It's a promise. It's going to happen at some time in the future. And it applies to all the children of Israel. Now, we ask, you know, how will Israel be saved? And, and Paul talks about it. He says, a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So it's not going to happen until after the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, which is right now. It's occurring right now. And then he cites from Isaiah, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Stop. Stop! There are three important concepts in that one citation, and you have to go back to Isaiah to get it in its context. You can see that it's a citation of Isaiah chapter 59, verses 20-21, but the people of ancient Israel had memorized. They knew it by heart. What Paul did was he deleted a very important part of this citation. It's a deletion, and they would have heard the deletion. So we have to go back to Isaiah and read it in its context. First, we see the deliverer. Isaiah says, This deliverer will put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. The word salvation is Yeshua, from which we get Yeshua. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing. This is what he's going to have a battle against the enemy and knock some heads together. He will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. The word wind is ruach, which means spirit. God's spirit is going to be involved in the salvation of all Israel. And then it goes on and, and, and it says, remove ungodliness. What is meant by removing ungodliness? Well, Isaiah says... A redeemer will come to those who turn from transgression. Turn is the Hebrew word shuv, which means to turn away from the world to God. It's sometimes used to, to mean repent, but it, it simply means to turn away from the world to God. That is going to happen at some time in the future. It's in the process of happening now, but it's going to be completely completed sometime in the future. Then we get God's covenant. All right? Paul had cited, this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This is what he deleted and this is what he wants us to hear. 
My spirit which is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your offspring nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring says the Lord from now and forever. That is still future. It is prophetic of something that is still future. All Israel Israel will be saved after the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And then God will do something. We don't know exactly, but it will involve Yeshua. It will involve the Spirit of God. And it will end with all Israel being saved, with all Israel being righteous, because the transgressions will have been removed from them. They will be righteous. And we don't exactly know How? I don't know how. I'm telling you, I'm not sure how. I can't see exactly how. I can see these nibbles. I can see these little enticing things, but I can't completely see how. But let's go. In the next session, I'm going to talk some more about this whole concept of salvation and who will be saved. I'll see you in the next session. Shalom.